Um, this is week two of Planted. Um, let's catch up where we were last week, all right? So um, we kind of laid out the big idea for the series, and here's what we do with the big idea. Uh, we admit the fact that, for the most part, we don't remember things. Am I the only one that doesn't remember stuff all the time? Um, we forget things, and so we try to boil it all down and give you one sentence one thing that you can remember week after week, kind of sink your teeth into. And so if you walk out and go to lunch and somebody says, hey, what was church about? You can at least probably say that one sentence. And last week, um, the, the big idea was we grow up when we put our roots down. Um, so basically, we give you cliff notes. Anybody remember cliff notes? Did anybody use cliff notes when you weren't supposed to? <laughs> All the hands, yeah, I used them, but not when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, liar, liar. You read like the 400-page book in two minutes because it's, you find the five-page cliff notes. Um, the big idea for us is kind of like cliff notes. You know, it's just kind of, hey, here's what we just talked about for 30 minutes, but remember this, okay? So for the whole, last week, for the whole series, just remember that we grow up when we put our roots down. Um, just like a plant. You can't grow up until you're planted. So we asked two questions last week. First was simply this, does God want us to be planted? And the answer was yes. And then um, the second question was kind of what, what happens when we are planted? And I don't know if um, you were like me, but I loved all the answers of what happens in our lives when we're planted. I mean, benefit after benefit after benefit, just great, great things that happen when we're planted. Things like um, we're blessed, we're fruitful, we're prosperous, we're strong. Take a look at the person next to you. Do they look strong? Don't answer that out loud. I mean, right now, you're looking at the person next to you going, dude, you need to get planted, <laughs> you know. You're looking a little scrawny there, right? Uh, you, we're strong. Um, I love this one. We're watched over by God when we're planted. We're prepared for good and bad seasons. We're courageous. We're peaceful. We're stable. We're loving and we're loved. Quite an impressive list of benefits. Um, so the one obvious question that we didn't answer last week is the one that we're going to tackle today. Just one question, and here it is. If God wants me planted, and being planted can produce such amazing blessings in my life, then where, everybody say where, where does God want us planted? So to answer that question, I'm going to throw a bunch of scripture. You're going to have to write down a lot of stuff. If you notice today, I've given you more blanks to fill in. You don't have to think quite as much. You could just jot down the little blanks. And when we get to the scriptures, just jot them on the side of the page, the back of the page, and you can look them up later. There's going to be a ton of them. So you're going to feel a little bit overwhelmed, but that's okay. Because at the end, you'll get the big idea, right? And the big idea is like the cliff notes of the sermon. So you can just tune me out now. How many of you already done, you've already tuned me out? <laughs> you're not my son any longer. I don't know who you are. He's like, I tuned you out when I was two. Here we go. The first question, number one, is this. Have real estate agents always been right? Have real estate agents always been right? Because before we even ask where the best location is, maybe we should ask if the location even matters. Now, if you're a real estate agent, you already know this. The three most important things in selling or buying a house are location, location, location. exactly. So we're going to take a quick peek. You can turn to Matthew chapter 13. 
And we'll see if we can find out the answer. Have real estate agents always been right? But my guess is that all of you know what the answer is. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling a story. He's talking about a farmer going out and planting some seed. It says this in verse 1, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told him many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Verse 6, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears let him hear. And let me just tell you this. We just read verses 1 through 9. Um, and later on in the chapter, he explains later on, in starting in verse 18, what that parable means. You can read that later. I'm not going to reference it today. I just want you to know that it's kind of like Jesus said, I'm giving you a little test, and then here's the answers over here. So you can read it later and see exactly what it means. Um, but if you've got, like, the NIV, if you've got a, a Bible that kind of breaks this up by headers, then at the top of this passage, yours probably says the parable of the sower. But when I read it, I think it probably would be better titled the parable of the soils because the sower is just throwing seed out, right? It's not really about the sower. The point of this is about where does that seed land, so he describes four places, four locations where the seed could land. Number one, along the path. And if we had lived back in that day, you know, we don't have these kind of paths anymore. We have sidewalks, right? Um, but back in the day, they, they, they walked these paths all the time. And so if you actually looked at the path, you ever been on dirt that was so packed down, it might as well have been concrete. And that's what he's talking about. And they would go, oh, yeah, along the path, right, where like nothing can, not even a jackhammer can break that ground kind of like digging here in the south isn't it all that red clay it's just nasty so it could fall along the path um, and it was walked on all the time seeds couldn't get roots there and so the birds that was easy eating for the birds right they have to dig for it all there's like hey look see got it and fly out of there it can land along the path it can land in the rocks jesus said that location does not have much soil so the roots they could grow but not very deep and because it couldn't grow deep, the plant couldn't last. It could fall among the thorns. What's interesting about that is the seed there actually does grow. But it grows with the thorns. And verse 22 later on says that the thorns are the cares of the world and distraction about riches. And we could just stop right there, couldn't we? I mean, if you've... Now, what today is August the 12th. If I was preaching this message two weeks from today... All of us could relate to the thorns because we'd be at the end of the month praying, oh, God, please let my paycheck last five more days. Right? So we'd be able to relate to that. Now, now we're sitting here going, I'm doing pretty good. I got two or three weeks left. You know, I got a little bit of money in the bank. And so, but at the end of the month, we get the thorns. How easy it is for the cares of the world for distraction about finances, just to kind of wrap itself around what God's trying to do in our heart. And that's what he's saying. It can fall among the thorns, and the distractions choke the life out of the new plant. Don't 
volunteer yourself, but if you'd like to raise your hand on behalf of somebody else, how many of you know people who have actually had life with Jesus, and within a few weeks, it was gone? And if you could sit them down and talk to them long enough, let's just use the obvious example of going to youth camp. All those years, I'd take teenagers to youth camp, and they would come back from camp, and they would have what? Life from God. And they would get up and they would give great, great, great testimonies about what God really did in their life at camp. And within a month, you talk to them and they're like, life sucks. It's terrible. I still got the same parents. <laughs> Nothing's changed. I mean, because the cares of the world just start to choke the life right out of them. And in the last place that it can fall is on good soil. And obviously this is good. The only soil that was prepared to receive the seed. The only soil that was prepared to receive the seed. Not only did it produce a plant, but it also produced a crop. And I love that. Somebody say why? Because our whole reason for being a church is we are the gathering. We live to be near God in order to be near man so that we can make disciplers. I don't want to make disciples. I don't want to just produce a plant. I want to produce a crop. I want to produce a plant that will produce a plant that will produce a plant that will produce a crop and a harvest. And that's what he's talking about. When that seed fell on the good soil, not only did it produce a plant, but it produced 30, 60, 100 times. I love that. So out of the four possible places for the seed to be planted, how many produced lasting results? One. It looks like three produced results, but only one produced a lasting result. So we still haven't determined where we need to be planted, but this story from Jesus is pretty spot on about the fact that real estate agents have always been right. Location matters. In fact, you could probably say it like this. Where something is planted is as important as what is planted. Where something is planted is as important as what is planted. Okay, we're moving on to number two. Does everybody have their blanks full to this point? All right, number two. Is that a big body or a little body? Now, this is not the same question as when somebody says, do these genes make me look fat? Is this a big body or a little body? Right, that's not the same thing, okay? Is this a big body or a little body. We've mentioned last week that the body is one of the ways that the Bible describes the church. Okay? So we're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the church. Here are some other ways that the Bible describes the church. And here's where you're going to have to just jot down. I'm going to give you a couple of descriptions, give you some verses. If you get lost, you can download these notes later from the Internet. Here we go. The church is described as a household. 1 Timothy 4.15, Ephesians 2.19. The church is described as a flock. Acts 20.28, 1 Peter 5.2-3. Now, we're supposed to be a flock of sheep, right? I think sometimes the church becomes a flock of birds. We just fly over people and drop stuff, right? Not the plan, okay? A flock of sheep. The church is a field. 1 Corinthians 3 9. The church is a building. Ephesians 2 20 through 22. 
1 Corinthians 3, 9. I know by now you're already lost on the verses. It's okay. You can get them later. The church, the church is a people, and that's kind of a weird way to describe it, but if you read 1 Peter 2, 10, it says you are a peculiar people. And so it's kind of like we're this collective body that he describes as a person. So we are a people, 1 Peter 2, 10. The church is a house, 1 Peter 2, 5 talks about us. We are now living stones that are helping to build a house. And finally, of course, we've already mentioned that the church is a body. Here's three verses that refer to the church as a body. Colossians 1.18, 1 Corinthians 12.18-24, and Ephesians 4.12. So, the question about is that a big body or a little body just means this. When we talk about the body, are we talking about the worldwide, everyone who's a Christian body, or are we talking about the local, the same people I sit next to and see at the gathering body? That's the question. That might not seem like an important question, but, but it is, and here's why. Many people want to assume and if you've been in church most of your life in the South, you're going to get this right away. If you've not been in church, it's not going to make any sense to you, okay? But, and that's all right. Many people assume that as long as they're believers in the big body, it doesn't really matter if they belong to the little body. As long, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm in the big body. So I don't have to be in the little body. Let's just see real quick if that passes the common sense test. The phrase one another, I don't know if you ever heard that. Like, hey, the Bible's got lots of one another verses. The phrase one another is in the Bible a lot. As a matter of fact, in the New American Standard Bible, it's mentioned in 2,369 verses. Think God's trying to get something across there? Aren't y'all glad when your parents don't say something to you 2,369 times? Although it probably seems like they have said, take out the trash, make your bed, clean your room, that many times. But it's because it's important. Right, parents? Right. Like when they say, grow up, get a job, and get out, over and over and over again, it's because you're 35, it's time to move out. Okay? Just letting you know. Things that we do to and for one another require relationships and connection. Okay? So... He mentions one another a ton in the Bible. And those are relationship verses, right? One another implies relationship with me and one another. And so those kind of verses, they require relationships. To be connected in the context of relationships, it helps to be near each other. Are you with me so far? Um, Judy Eddy. Bethany's mom, she was here a couple of weeks ago, and she shared about what God's doing over in Papua New Guinea. Um, and so here's the question. Am I part of the same body that Dave and Judy are part of? Yes, because we're both Christians. I mean, all three of us are Christians. So all of you, if you're a believer, you're all connected to the same body, the big body. Here's another question. Am I able to live out a lot of the one another commands with Dave and Judy Eddy? Not necessarily. Some of them I can. I mean, I can love them, but I can't live all of them out because they're in Papua New Guinea, which I found out, didn't know this until she came, is on the exact other side of the globe. I literally thought Papua New Guinea was near Jamaica because I'm an idiot. I went to Albemarle. Thank you very much. 
I love Albemarle. I went there. I'm an alum, but they didn't teach me where Papua New Guinea was. That's their problem. I had to find out for myself. So here, here we go. We're going to take one, just one, of the many one another commands, and we're going to work out practically why we need to be close to each other to do it. Okay, here we go. Jot down Romans 13, 8. Romans 13, 8. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So Romans 13, 8 says if we love each other, then we are actually fulfilling the law. 1 John 3, 18 says that loving one another is to be done with actions and not just words only. Oh, I mean, if there was ever a verse for the wives in here to go, Amen, brother, that was probably it, right? You're looking at your spouse right now going, Did you hear that? He's going to say it again because God's going to tell him to, and you better listen. It's not about words only. That whole I love you at the wedding, not enough. Actions, dude. It's not enough to love with words only, but with actions. If that's not clear enough, James 2, 14 through 17, says that just wishing brothers and sisters well, but not doing anything to help them physically means that our faith is dead. It's pretty strong language from God right there, right? Let me just give you those verses again. Romans 13, 8 says that we're supposed to love one another because that fulfills the law. 1 John 3, 18 says that loving one another involves actions and not just words only. And James 2, 14 through 17 says if I just wish people well but don't do anything about their physical need, my faith is dead. All that to say this, it makes sense that these relational verses require a relational context, which sounds like a really brilliant sentence that a smart person like me would say doesn't it and all that means is the context is the little body the local people i sit next to at the gathering every week body this is the context where we live out those one another verses because it is so easy for me to love dave and judy eddie do you know why i never have to see him have a bad day I never have to smell their breath in the morning. Which, if they're breathing, is probably bad. Just like yours is and mine is. I never have to hear them say they're sorry for losing their cool at me. And I never have to say to them, I'm sorry that I lost my cool with you. But I will have to do that here. Because you'll be around me. And you'll walk up to me at Walmart sometime and you'll say, Hey, Pastor Paul, how's it going? I'll be like, oh, what now? And then I'll realize it's you and go, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, or you'll do it to your spouse or to your kids or to your friends. Because when you live in a relationship with one another, that's where you work out these commands. Does that make sense? So in short, the best location, the best soil for lasting spiritual growth is the local body. Which brings us to number three. Why doesn't that excite me? Write that down. Why doesn't that excite me? Because I'm just going to be really honest with you here, okay? Not that it happens at this point, but let's just get down to where the rubber meets the road. I would give anything if I could just tell you 
that God wants you to be planted in the little body of the church. And that we want the little body of the church that you're planted in to be the gathering. And I could just stand up right now and say, who's all in? And all of you would be like, me, I'm in. Yeah, let's do it. I wish I could do that. But I know you because I'm one of you. And so what happens is I wish that just that truth alone would excite people enough to jump in. But it doesn't. So can we just take a few minutes and get really, really honest with each other? And let's just talk about why sometimes that truth doesn't excite us. And here's number one. We don't understand membership biblically. What do I mean by that? The world makes membership about clubs, discounts, and perks, right? I am a member at Sam's Club. So I get in earlier on some days. I mean, I don't even go, but if I did go, I'd get in earlier on some days. If you're a member at Lifter's Gym... You have a card that allows you to have access. So it's kind of like, I'm a member. Yeah. But in the church, the Bible elevates membership to things like roles, belonging, parts in the body. In the world, membership comes with rights. In the church, it comes with responsibility. Because you're a member at your club... You get a 10% discount anytime you shop in the store. You have rights because you're a member. And the problem is we don't like this because we don't understand what it means biblically to be a member of the body of Christ. So we bring that thinking from the world into this place. And you, y'all are too sweet. You would never do this. But you've seen people do it, right? You, what, what do you mean you're, no, we're not doing it that way. Why not? Okay. I'm a member here. My mom was a member here, and her mom was a member before she was, and her mom was a member before she was. And I'm telling you, in all the long line of mom members, we've never done it that way, and we're not going to start now. I have rights. Reconcile that with Jesus saying, whoever wants to follow me, take up your cross daily. You can't. Because we all have rights until we give our hearts to Jesus. And then we have the right to lay those rights down. That's what being a Christian is all about. In the body, membership is about responsibility. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Those are great passages to read about understanding membership biblically. Galatians 6, 2. Romans 12, 15. Romans 12, 15 says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who who mourn. We have a responsibility to one another. Now, here's the second reason why we don't get excited about being a part of the local body. We don't really like everybody. Is that, is that way too honest? We just don't like everybody. So from the world's perspective, membership is a good thing because it keeps out the people that we don't like. Isn't that true? I mean, not everybody here is a member of a country club, right? Why is that? I mean, I I shouldn't be this honest because I'm going to make people mad that are members of country clubs. There's nothing wrong with country clubs. But, you know, they price the membership at a level to make sure that certain people can't get in. Why do they do that? Because they don't like those people? Yes. That's why. That's what membership does. It excludes people. In the church, membership makes sure people get in. You become a member of the body. 
Think of it like this. You can write this down if you want to. The world makes membership about selection. God makes membership about connection. The world makes membership about selection. God makes membership about connection. Romans 12, 5 says this. So in Christ, we, everybody say we. We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I don't get a say over who Jesus loves enough to save. I'm going to say that one more time. I don't get a say over who Jesus loves enough to save. But we talk to God like that. Um, no, God, please send that person to another church. I don't want them here. What? You're saying that to the God who sent his son to die on the cross to save all mankind. And he says, no, 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 no. Each one belongs to all the body. Connection forms community. Selection forms cliques. So when we get connected in here, like when you hear us get up and talk about community groups, why do we have community groups? Oh, I know why you have community groups, because Larry and Carol, they think they're all that. They're better than Renee and Nehemiah. And the people that are in their group can beat your mama's group any day. Now, that's not why we do groups. We don't do community groups so we can have like, you know, 10 community groups and all of them get together on some field and have a big old fight to see which one's the best group. We just, we don't do it to select. We do it to connect. We want to connect people in here so that they can begin to build community. If it's all about selection, we'll just form cliques. And it'll be like this. Oh, I'm going to that group. Because the cool people go there. And we'll start thinking that way. But you know what that's like? High school. High school politics. I hate high school politics. And the last thing we ever want to do is to represent to this county in our body that the high school politics are right. Because they're not. We're one body. We don't select. We connect. So... Why doesn't it excite me about being a part of the little body? It's because we don't understand membership biblically and we don't really like everybody. And here's the last one. C, we really just want to be left alone. We just want to be left alone. Here's a strange irony. We hate being lonely, but we love being alone. We hate being lonely, but we love being alone. Living independently, and I'm going to say this a couple of times because this goes totally against what we've been taught in America. Living independently is not biblical. Everybody look at me again. I'm going to say it one more time for you. Living independently is not biblical. It is very American. Okay, and we're American, right? I mean, last time I checked, I paid my taxes. I'm pretty sure I'm in America. It's American. And it's deeply ingrained in us. Grow up and be a man. Don't need anybody else. But it's not biblical. Romans 14, 7 says this. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. 
Living independently is not biblical. Genesis 2.18. That's where God looked at, um, he looked at Adam, and he went, I rocked it when I made Adam. Dude is looking awesome. I mean, all of us have sinful bodies, right? That's why we go to the gym, and we do diets, and we try to look good. But Adam, like, from the get-go, I mean, he just must have looked awesome. Like, no sin on his body, nothing withering him, no stress to make him hunch over. So God looks at Adam, and he's like, you are looking good. I did good. And then he said this, it's not good for man to be alone. And what I want you to understand is that's Genesis 2.18. He said that before the fall. How much more do we need each other now? I mean, if, if Adam was like this perfect creation and God looked at him and said, in all your splendor, in all your glory, with your chiseled, he didn't have a six-pack. He probably had like an eight-pack, right? Because he's Adam, no sin. With all that you have, as good as you are, it's still not good for you to be alone. I mean, how much more for us now, right? Because I don't know, last time you checked, but the last time I checked, I live in a fallen world. There is stress. There are distractions. There are things that weigh on me and they weigh on you. There's all that stuff going on. How much more do we need to not be alone? And yet, we love to try to live alone. But living alone makes us a much easier target for the enemy. He loves to pick off, separate the weak ones from the herd. And I thought about getting you a great video we could watch of some animal getting attacked and eaten up and torn apart limb from limb. Instead, I just described it to you so you can play it in your own mind right now because we're going to go have lunch and we'd be eating whatever probably got ripped limb from limb. Is that how they fix the steak? So let me just give you a couple of things to think about. Um, there's a guy, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, John Cassiopo. He's a neuroscientist at the University of Chicago. He did a study, and here's, here's a couple of things that he found. Lonely adults consume more alcohol and get less exercise than those who aren't lonely. Their diet is higher in fat, their sleep is less efficient, and they report more daytime fatigue. Apparently, lonely adults are the people keeping five-hour energy in business. Loneliness also disrupts the regulation of cellular processes deep within the body, predisposing us to premature aging. Did you hear that? I mean, like, I get the whole higher in fat content of the diet because you're kind of like, I'm lonely, I don't feel good. And, and look, when I'm not in a good mood, nothing smells better than grease, right? I mean, just take me to, Mac to McDonald's and put me in front of a Big Mac. I was we, went, we went last night to the Panthers game. We ate at a restaurant, and I got a burger, first burger I've had in, like, a, a really long time. I mean, people must thought I was just weird because I was like, you ever seen What About Bob? Who's seen the movie What About Bob? Anybody? It's an old movie. If you haven't seen it, rent it. The, the scene when he's eating the corn on the cob out on the porch, he's like, oh, oh, and he's just making all these noises. That was me last night eating the burger. It was an awesome, awesome burger because it was greasy and it's running down my arm. And it was, you know, Wendy was like, it's disgusting. Stop. What are you doing? Go to the bathroom and eat that thing. What? It, but it was so good. I was so hungry. And sometimes when you're just having a stressful day, I mean, the easiest thing to do is go to a drive-thru, just get one of those burgers because they taste so good. I get that part. But did you hear that loneliness works on a cellular process in your body? 
that predisposes us to premature aging. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I don't understand all that stuff. But like working on a cellular level, that's big time. That's an effect from loneliness. Here's something else he found. People who go to church regularly actually tend to live longer. I mean, outside of the fact that there are freak accents, you know, like you could walk outside to your car and, you know, a piece of farm equipment could fall out of the sky and kill you. I mean, outside of that, if we just all kind of lived a normal life, he found that people that go to church actually tend to live longer because they feel connected to the group, to the church, and to God. That's amazing. I mean, that, that right there is a reason to join a church, isn't it? Are you joining because you love Jesus? I just don't want to die. Give me the card. Let me sign it. I'm all in. I just want to live a long life. Cool. We become weaker simply because we're isolated. Let me give you a couple verses. Proverbs 11:14, Proverbs 15:22 says that wisdom and strength are found in the counsel of many. You've all heard the phrase strength in numbers, right? The opposite is true. There's weakness apart from numbers. Those are verses that show that truth. So when we aren't around people with real faith, we question if our faith is real. Have you ever seen that play out in your life? Because I have in my life. Like when you're around people that just love Jesus, they're passionate about Jesus, suddenly your faith feels very vibrant. You're like, man, I am digging this Jesus thing. But get away from them. Go off on your own. And at some point you'll start saying, I don't feel like I used to feel it. And instead of saying to yourself, well, that's because I'm a human and feelings are kind of arbitrary and they come and go, what you'll say is, I don't know if that Jesus thing is really real. And you know people like that. Right now, you could call them today and say, we miss you at the gathering. Or I haven't seen you in months. How are you doing with Jesus? And they will say this, I tried Jesus. He didn't work. No, what you did was... You separated yourself. You lived alone. And now, because you're not around people with real faith, you wonder if your faith is real. We just really don't want to be left alone. Honestly, we just don't want people to get in our business. And, and so all of us would sign up for close relationships if they would never ask us hard questions. Am I right? It's the hard stuff that makes us not want to be really it's like the difference between the first date and right before you get married. Those are very different dates. Those are very different conversations. Because the first date is, you are so cute. And the, first, the night before you get married, the conversation is, like, are you always going to pick your fingernails? <laughs> and let's don't even start on the toenails and how you pick the dead callous skin off your foot. Very different conversations, aren't they? We, we don't want to be alone. We just don't want people to get in our business. And so I'm going to make the big idea right here. I want you to write this. It's at the top of your sheet. Because we want the benefit of belonging without the hassle. But when it comes to being planted, this is the big idea. And I'm going to say it. You're going to think it sounds brilliant. And then you're going to read it again. And you're going to hate it. You ready? We can't be a part of the body if we live apart from the body. I told you that you were going to hate it. 
I at least warned you, right? We can't be a part of the body if we live apart from the body. I have told you numerous times, our goal is to do three things well at the gathering. We want to do the worship service well. We want to do community groups well. We want to serve our county well. But if you only do worship on Sunday, it will only take you so far. Because you won't really build, I mean, this is, a, I love, like today's just a great day. You know, just great feeling in the air and atmosphere. But you can only go so far on Sundays. You get in a community group. And now instead of being around 100, 110 people, you're around 15. And they say stuff like, so what did you get out of the message on Sunday? And you're like, do I say honestly nothing? Or do I make something up? You know, or do I, do I say, I feel stupid asking this, but like, what does this mean? You start to, it gets harder, but that's where you grow deeper. That's what it means to be a part of the body. Being a part of the body means that when you have a need, you don't sit at home and do this. <laughs> I love this, the little game that church people play in, in America. They sit at home and go, I'm just waiting. What are you waiting on? I'm waiting on the holy man of God to figure out that I need him to call me. Okay, how's that working for you? He must not be a holy man because he's not getting the message from God to call me. Yeah, or else you're too prideful to call him. So we live apart from the body. And then six months down the road, we wonder, why don't I really feel like I'm a part of the body? Because, big idea, you can't, live, you can't be a part of the body if you live apart from the body. Okay? Very simple to understand. Very hard to do. And so the question is, where does this leave us? It leaves us with a decision to be planted or not to be planted. That is the question. So even though committing to one local body can feel like it goes against everything we've experienced, everything we're used to, the reality is that choosing to be planted in a local body of believers is the one decision we can make that opens the door to the blessings that we talked about last week that are missing from so many of our lives. Is this okay for me to say that to you guys? Is, is it uncomfortable at times to live together instead of alone? Yeah. I mean, I'd rather be alone because nobody can ask me hard questions. It's a little bit uncomfortable to live together. Is, is it hard sometimes to try to do something different instead of what we're already used to? Absolutely. But here's the question. Is it worth it? Jeremiah 17, 8 says, To be a tree planted by the water, not afraid of heat, not afraid of drought, always bearing fruit. Is it worth it? Every single time. To be a tree like that? To have a life that's always bearing fruit for the kingdom every single time. In some ways, um, being planted in a church could be the exact opposite of what we've always done. It's always expected from our church experience. But here's the deal. It could lead to the life that you and I have always dreamed of. I've got a clip I want to show you just to kind of, because um, by this point, your mind's just blown. You're kind of going, you sound like, you know, the teacher from Charlie Brown. So i got a little clip I want to show you. I think you're going to love it. I think it's going to kind of make sense as we go along about doing the exact opposite of things that we've always done so we can get different results. Here we go. Speaking of having it all. <laughs> Where were you? I went to the beach. Oh, the beach. <laughs> 
It's not working, Jerry. It's just not working. What is it that isn't working? Why did it all turn out like this for me? I had so much promise. <laughs> I was personable. I was bright. Oh, maybe not academically speaking, but... I was perceptive. I always know when someone's uncomfortable at a party. Got nothing over there? It all became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. <laughs> Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad, on rye. Untoasted, with a side of potato salad, and a cup of tea. <laughs> well, there's no telling what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna, because salmon swim against the current, and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. Uh, George, you know, that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. Ah, <laughs> uh, George Costanza. Love that guy. As you leave this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider taking a step towards membership in this local body. It, it could be the exact opposite of what you've always done. I mean, maybe you've always wanted to have the out. So I'll kind of come for a while and go for a while. And, you know, and the cool thing is none of that necessarily affects where you stand in the big body, right? I mean, that's you and Jesus. The exact opposite, I, I don't want what I've always had. I want something different. Like, I don't want to feel like I drift. I want to feel like I'm planted, like I have roots, like we're growing together. Uh, take a step this week. Consider it. And it's simple, really. Here's what you're saying. You're saying that in this season of your life, you want the gathering to be the place where you grow your faith. 
It means that you, you can expect us to help you with that through teaching. You can expect us to help you with that through caring for you, through our commitment to equip you to do more than just sit. Now, I want you to fill these blanks in at the bottom because here's what it means to be a member. It means that we attend, we serve, we give, and we invite regularly because we are doing life together. It's really the bottom line, isn't it? I mean, we can have like a eight-week new member class and go over doctrine and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that's not important. But when you boil it all down, what does it really mean to be a member of a body? It means that we attend. We actually, I mean, I know this is crazy, actually show up. We serve. We, we find an iOS team, a ministry team. We say, I, I don't want to just do it because I get a cool orange shirt. I want to do it because I want to give something back to the body. I want to serve this place. We give finances, talents, and we invite people. I mean, look, I don't know if you grew up in a home where you just loved your family so much you were always at school telling your friends, you know, just come over after, after, just come hang out after school. I mean, my, my house is a blast. Or maybe you grew up in a home where it was the exact opposite of that. You never invited people to come over. But you know, Part of being a part of the body is, and I just want people to come be, be a part of this with me. We invite people. That's what it means because we do life together. So here's the deal. Next week, you and I are going to have the opportunity to stand together, um, lock arms together, probably not literally because it would look like we were going to play Red Rover, but that would be kind of cool, and begin growing together. And I don't know about you, but, I'm, man, I'm pumped about it. I'm excited about it. Um, next week is going to be a fantastic week where we're able to say, yes, I'm in. I want to be planted here. I want to put my roots down in the soil here. In this season of my life, there's no doubt in my mind that the gathering is where God wants me to be planted and to grow.